Hey, what's going on? Welcome to the Raptors Reasonless Podcast. I'm your host, Blake Murphy. Joining me on the line, Eric Kareen. Eric, what's up, man? Not too much. Uh, just, you know, attached to Twitter, seeing which sport, which player is uh, is going to throw up a red flag about these multiple restart plans uh, next. The latest. It's all, ha- it's all happening. Uh- of those, uh, right before we came on to record, Bradley Beal of the Washington Wizards announced that he will not be playing due to a shoulder injury, uh, not to cast out on the shoulder injury, but it being an injury and not his uh, decision uh, for other reasons means he'll still get paid. So good on you, Bradley Beal. Uh, get that money. Other players like that, um, we obviously on the Wizards, Davis Bertons had previously announced he's not going. Uh, Dwight Howard of the Lakers announced he will play despite... Uh, earlier discussion that maybe he wouldn't, but he will be, in addition to trying to use the platform, donating all of his salary, which I think Bobby Marks estimated about 700 k uh, for the restart. So great on Dwight Howard uh, for doing that. As far as we know, all 17 Toronto Raptors are in Naples, Florida. The team is still practicing at, at uh, Florida Gulf Coast University in Fort Myers, about a half an hour drive away from Naples. Uh, and yes... Despite him not appearing in any of the social media posts or doing media availability, uh, Kyle Lowry is there as confirmed by the team and by Matt Thomas, who revealed he has been golfing with Kyle Lowry, would not reveal Lowry's handicap. But uh, Matt Thomas strikes me as a guy with a great short game. Eric, you you have any take on Matt Thomas's golf ability? Um, what, does like a great long-range shot, uh, is that like, that just means he has good touch? So yeah, therefore, I think like yeah, therefore the, the he would be good, hands, like good with risk the control, yeah, he'd be good in the bunker, finesse. good with like the short chips, uh, yeah, you know, who knows like, about I, I who think, knows about putting? Putting is a is a mystery, un, yeah. Unto like itself. I think of you know how I golf relative to how I play other sports, and it's like everything else, just brute force with no finesse. So <laughs> I assume the, Matt Thomas is the opposite, and it's the, all finesse. The last time I played a full round of golf, uh, golf chat. I know this is why everybody turns into Raptors. Yeah, we got to have Michael Grange and, and Mike Ganter on now. <laughs> um, I It was like a grade 10 or 11. I've played like one or two rounds since then. But on the 10th or 11th hole, I was I was in the tee box. And I just drove it. And it basically went sideways. It went like two feet forward and like 20 feet sideways, hitting my friend in the leg. Uh, mm-hmm. And I just threw my driver and said uh, a bunch of curse words and quit. And I've basically two, two feet, two feet forward and twenty feet sideways. Sounds like your golf game is like your mental health game. Hey yo, uh, I mean that's that's almost complimentary to my to my <laughs> health, mental health game. I hey, appreciate you get those it. two feet forward still, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. I uh, am. Uh, I'm also not is... much of a golfer. I can drive the ball pretty well. And there was like when I worked an office job and had more disposable income and didn't live in Toronto, where it's you know hard to have a car and hard to get the courses. I, I was shooting probably like high 80s, low 90s because I was golfing a fair amount. Wow. Uh, but now that I don't golf very much at all, I can basically hit the ball far and then anything not off the tee is uh, is a disaster because I only golf maybe once or twice a summer. Uh, yeah. Usually think, for like bachelor parties or like pre-wedding stuff. Yeah, it's, it's unlike riding a bike. If you don't use it, you do lose it. Uh, it's very much a routine and repetition thing i think which, i don't i don't which know which is I why know. i imagine kyle lowry has uh declined to speak with us 
declined, <laughs> made sure to get those workouts in early in the morning before the Raptors photographers are there. Uh, so he can get his 18 or 36 holes in a day in Naples or Fort Myers. Uh, we know from earlier reports that NBA players quarantined in Orlando uh, at the Disney bubble will have access to golf courses. I'd imagine Kyle Lowry is going to be there. Uh, you know, that, that cadence of playing every second day means every second day you can get, you can get around in. Um, it also might mean those, you know, Lowry may have petitioned for those two afternoon starts. Yeah. So he can get a get a quick a twilight 18 and after. Who are the foremost golfers in the bubble? There's there's him, Iguodala, Chris, Chris Paul, Paul, I think. Um, uh, Steph Curry won't be in the yeah, bubble, exactly. but Steph's a big one. Yeah. Uh, Vince is another big one who also won't be in the bubble. Uh, I'm not yeah. sure. Matt Thomas? <laughs> uh, Norman Powell tried it for the first time recently. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's a it's a it's a rough one to just dive into in your mid twenties. I feel like you need to spend a lot of time on the range, and and uh, it's just not a natural thing. Like, it, who has the patience it, for it? It's a terrible thing. I hate golf so much. <laughs> not a not a big fan. So, uh, apologies to Michael Grange and, and Mike Ganter of the Toronto Sun, who uh, commandeered a recent conference call Zoom chat uh, to talk golf. Uh, sadly, that was not enough to pull Lowry out of his. Uh, non-hiatus media hiatus i guess i don't know uh anyway there there have been uh players who spoke to us um everyone but everyone notable except lowry and marcus all so far uh, including og ananobi which was uh which was fun especially since he went before serge Ibaka and serge then got to respond to all of og's uh comments shortly after we record this uh, nick nurse will do his kind of pre-quarantine quarantine uh closing availability you're not getting many updates from these you know it's the standard preseason muscle watch kind of stuff chris boucher has added 15 pounds uh pascal siakam after not shooting for the longest stretch in his life uh is working on some things o'shea Brissett is you know everyone's working on what you'd expect them to be working on terrence davis on his pick and roll game uh the raptors have not advanced to the point of being able to do group workouts uh, they're still doing individual workouts with two coaches but a couple of the players have said those have been pretty valuable because um, they've given an opportunity to work on some stuff that uh, they wouldn't normally get this level of time to do. Uh, and then I'm sure there are things like, you know, film work and, and video work and things like that. Um, later in this podcast, we are going to uh, discuss O'Shea Brissett. We're actually going to discuss O'Shea Brissett with a fellow Syracuse alum and his Raptors 905 teammate. Tyler Ennis will be joining us uh, for the second half of this podcast. So stick around for that. Uh, before we get to that, Eric, we have a birthday to celebrate today. Yes. Happy 50th to Masai Jiri. Oh, he has the same birthday as my brother-in-law. Oh, you thought I I knew your brother-in-law's birthday and I was going to bring that no, up. No, I, did, I did not think it was going, you were going to announce that. I just, uh, uh, that is the one I was aware of. Uh, 50, man, doesn't look a day over 38. Masai, come on the podcast. Yeah, our close personal friend, Masai Jiri, who I'm sure is torn to not be celebrating with us uh this could be in a normal year this would be the second day after the moratorium lifts so this could be a press conference day this could be a fred van vliet re-signed press conference day in a normal situation but it's not so masai uh welcome to your birthday party if you're listening to this the only attendees are myself eric uh, our producer michael walter and russ uh this would be <laughs> russ's last podcast with us ah well, he you prepared him to find a, a forever family, and 
that is noble work, Blake. Um, yes. Do you Russ know who the Do you know adopted. who the adoptees are? Or the yeah, adopters, we had to do rather? a video chat with them uh, so they could like meet Russ and ask some questions about him. So yeah, I tried yeah. to sandbag it so they wouldn't want him. Unfortunately, <laughs> uh, they saw through it. So. Uh, well, it's good that he's finding a home, and uh, you know, I, I'm sorry we couldn't get the Walter Russ play date to happen. Yeah, I mean, you could come over tomorrow. That's the he. That's the the last window. Okay. Opportunity. I will keep um, that in mind. I also just don't. I still don't think they'd be a a great match. It's yeah. Walter's yeah. not a particularly good match for anybody. Um, yeah, it's like trying to imagine like Chris Boucher and Kyle Lowry hanging out. <laughs> One of them is just like a lot of energy and youthful exuberance, and the other one just no longer has time for that shit and would like to be left to do, you know, as Walter carries his ball room to room for naps, uh, you might also... Man, I didn't mean for this to be a Lowry slander pod, but... No, no, no. I I mean, you just compared my dog to the greatest Raptor of all time. I'll take it. Yeah, and please stop with the daily debates about Lowry's status on Twitter. I know Raptor's Twitter is just defending him, but I would like for everyone to know that while I appreciate the way in which Raptors Twitter likes to defend Kyle Lowry, you don't have to quote, retweet, and signal boost every bad Lowry opinion. Uh, Sopon does not need those retweets. Uh, you could just go and retweet when he said the Knicks would be as good as the Raptors this year. You don't have to. Uh, you don't have to dunk on his fresh takes. Kyle Lowry is the greatest Raptor of all time, and how he looks coming out of this hiatus will determine a lot for the Raptors. Um, also, determining a lot for the Raptors will be uh, things like, you know, everyone is raving about the shape that Marc Gasol's in. Uh, Pascal Siakam took three months off from shooting, which is the longest he's taken off since he started playing basketball, which, Eric, uh, you had some takes yeah, on. Yeah, can I, uh, just very Absolutely. briefly, if anybody out there criticizes a basketball player, whether it's Pascal Siakam or Chris Middleton, I'm sure there are others, for quote-unquote not touching a basketball for three months. First of all, I'm not sure we should be taking them super, super literally. But other than that, it was a freaking pandemic. There are a billion other things to worry about more than that. You don't know their living situations, like whether they live in a condo or a house or whatever. They were actively discouraged, except by some idiotic governors in the States, for to, uh, from going out and taking part in, you know, finding a park or, um, you know, Matt Thomas talked yesterday, I think it was Matt Thomas, while he was still in Toronto about trying to find outdoor parks to just shoot around. Like, people were discouraged from doing that. Like, people were told to stay home to help, uh, to help slow and flatten the curve and eventually bring it down. And guess what? Toronto's doing relatively well compared to other major cities in North America, especially in the States. So there's a, you know, a whole month basically before the real games begin. They'll find a way to find their rhythm. Some of it will be ugly, but let's not go hammering basketball players for not playing or not touching a basketball. They were still, I'm sure, getting workouts in in the way that they could and... Almost everything is more important than that. Like, I can't believe people are concerned about this. No, I can believe it, but it's infuriating. <laughs> yeah, I will say, I think you can still criticize Chris Middleton, uh, because there's always <laughs> a place for that. Um, <laughs> first but, yeah, yeah, first guarantee you can go in in game four. And then, yeah, uh... <laughs> non-guarantee. Um, 
Oh boy, that's a little inside. Chris Middleton did not guarantee a win, just so just so we're clear on that. Uh, but yeah, especially for the Raptors players, like in the words of Lil Wayne, that's word to Toronto. So high up, I got birds in the condo. Uh, there is not a lot of natural court space or room for a hoop in a standard Toronto living situation. Uh, Eric, uh, do you? Why mind didn't they just I... go over to Drake's house though, Blake? I don't know. That's a good question. No, it's not. Uh, like, social, like, they weren't supposed yeah. to. There's an eight and a half foot net at an elementary school near me that didn't get taken down. Mm. All the, all the nets Why wasn't near- Matt Thomas doing dunk contests with me <laughs> on the, uh, the elementary school net? All the nets near me were, they weren't taken down necessarily, but there was, like, caution tape and black tape put in. Put, put in. That's a good word. Put out. Yeah, but on. that's... But that that's just because, you know, I was on those courts and, and people needed to be warned about the clamps <laughs> coming out, you know? Yeah. Before we get to Tyler Ennis, we should probably talk about one of the big issues that might uh, maybe... Oh, like the- I, ha- I have a rant before we get to that. If okay, okay. okay. I yes. want to counter your rant with my own rant. Uh, yes, it's a mini rant because I think it's something I'm going to write about at some point. But um, based on reporting from Mark Spears of ESPN uh, and The Undefeated this week, the messaging on jerseys that we've talked about uh, on this podcast as one of the NBA's initiatives uh, to use the restart to affect change. Um, players will only get to choose from an approved list, which while I realize the jersey messaging is only a part of what they're going to be doing and it'll still have a, a net positive effect versus not doing anything, uh, I do have a little bit of an issue with the kind of corporate approved list of slogans that don't mention police brutality or the police at all. Um, you know, the the MBPA has said that they decided out of respect for the families not to use the names of people killed by police brutality or in acts of anti-black racism, which is fine. But I still think the, the limiting factor there uh, takes away from it a little bit. And I've talked to some players who feel similarly. Uh, the WNBA is doing a more... At this point, the WNBA's plan on that front is more cohesive and they've released more information about it and they will be using the names of um, victims and phrases like say her name. Uh, Now, on the other hand, uh, the NBA has not poured enough, nearly enough money into the WNBA relaunch for things like uh, private flights or a schedule here less than two weeks out from the start of the WNBA season. So things are not perfect on that side either. What does it Uh, think it is? Major League Baseball? Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, uh, so I have a bit of I don't love the here's an approved list of Jersey messaging, but I'm also willing to be at least a little patient on seeing what else the league uh, uh, rolls out. I would say in in brief that I don't see why they couldn't handle this on a case by case basis. There's enough people in the NBA league offices and I think people are reasonable enough that they'd be able to find enough answers. Anyway. Yeah, some, someone in my mentions did point out that, like, well, you know, what if it got leaked that a player had a me- wanted a message about Hong Kong and the league shot that down? Like, it'd be a bigger PR issue to have to shoot down something specific. And that's certainly a concern, but I would hope that, you know, maybe the NBPA filters those out or something first. But anyway, that's a, a concern I have, and I'm looking forward to seeing what the league has to roll out uh, beyond just jerseys. Uh, Like you said, we do have to talk about something um, actually meaningful to, sorry, not actually meaningful, but meaningful to the (laughs) on-court play. Uh, Obviously, the jersey messaging and how the league is going to affect, try to affect change is very meaningful. On the court, 
one of the most meaningful things to watch as the league relaunches will be how the Raptors' half-court offense looks. This is something I wrote about uh, on Monday at The Athletic, which, by the way, if you're only a podcast listener and not a subscriber, you can go to theathletic.com slash we the six. That's the number six for 40% off a subscription right now. Or you can click on that article for a 30-day free trial if you prefer a free trial to 40% off. Um, the article was titled Raptors Relaunch, Can Half-Court Offense Hold Up As Quality of Competition Rises? Uh, what I went into in that article was breaking down the Raptors' offense, which entering the year, Eric, I think we agreed that the Raptors would probably be around a top-five defense and they'd be around average on offense. Uh, I think at this point we can pat ourselves on the back. So, Eric, good job agreeing with me on those takes. That's uh, right around where the Raptors rank in both of those regards. Like, good job uh, being out in front on those takes for me to copy you. Uh, I very much appreciate it. Yeah. Uh, so the Raptors by, are good job by us. Yeah, yeah. The Raptors are num- the number two defense in the league at the time of the hiatus. They are 14th in points per 100 possessions scored on offense, according to Cleaning the Glass, which filters out garbage time. Uh, when you get more granular, though, 14th on offense is not uh, not quite as shiny because the Raptors are once again probably the league's best transition team. Um, not that that those not that those baskets don't count. Transition baskets are are so great. They they have um, they score in transition more than any other offense in the league at twenty one point seven percent of their possessions. Um, they were a top five team in effective field goal percentage early in the shot clock, thanks in part to that um, transition success. And they were third on a per transition possession basis uh, per synergy. So very good transition offense. But when you have an average offense and a very good transition offense, that naturally means that your half-court offense struggles. Uh, per cleaning the glass, they are 18th in points per half-court possession, filtering out garbage time. Uh, they are 24th in points per possession following a dead ball per pbpstats.com. So they obviously have some things to work on here. Uh, Eric, in reading my piece or in your own reflection on the first 64 games for the Raptors, what are you looking for for them to improve on in the half-court? Um, I think... They have to get into their actions more quickly, uh, I, I would say, on average. Like, just because you're in the half court doesn't mean you have to dribble, you know, or, or pass around the perimeter a, a handful of times, and then all of a sudden you're left with 10 seconds and you really have to make something happen quickly. So that would be my first thing. And, you know, let's be honest, a lot of it falls on the development of Pascal Siakam. And I don't want to oversimplify it because it's not that simple. But he was really struggling in those, you know, in like he certainly is improved as a three point shooter, but, you know, he was so good from quote unquote two point range last year. And when he's not been in the restricted area and he's not been taking threes, his his numbers have gone down this year, you know, like and his playmaking is, you know, slowly improving, although I think we both agree that's a major step uh, for him to, to gain what he can touch a basketball in the off season. Um, but uh, I think you need to take him. I don't think it's a level of comfort necessarily. I think he's shown that he could hit those types of shots before the, you know, sort of the off balance leaners and in, in the paint or, you know, in the deep or not the deep paint, the opposite of the deep paint, the fire paint, whatever you want to call it. <laughs> the shallow um, paint. Yeah. If you want. Yeah. Uh, and I think that's, you know, a lot of what I'm going to be looking for is for him to, you know, show that soft touch that he can have and be more effective in that way. So those are, those are the two biggest 
factors, I think, uh, in, in them improving, really. A couple of encouraging signs if you're looking for them. While the Raptors ranked poorly in dead ball offense, they were a top 10 team coming out of timeouts. So uh, a little, maybe a little something there to Nick Nurse, um, you know, when he's drawing things up being and being a little more hands-on, uh, the Raptors are a little better. That's also backed up by the fact that the Raptors have the number two crunch time offense in the NBA. So once again, when Nurse's hands are on things a little more and they're a little more structured, instead of playing this kind of free improvisational brand of basketball, which is good in general and, and helpful over 43 minutes when you're trying to develop guys and play a freestyle of play, uh, you know, when things get down to the nitty gritty, over 121 clutch minutes, uh, only the Oklahoma City Thunder scored more efficiently than the Raptors. And that includes an uptick in usage and efficiency for Pascal Siakam in those scenarios, owing in part to, you know, they run a lot more pick and roll for him then. And you, whether you use Kyle Lowry or Fred Van Vliet as a screener uh, in those big, small actions that so few teams are well equipped to defend, or whether you use Marc Gasol as a screener, and, and that's kind of uh, a part of this as well, that Marc Gasol missed a lot of games, and he has such an additive multiplying factor to the team's offense with his playmaking and his floor spacing ability. Uh, there are definitely rooms for uh, room for optimism there. Uh, it's still probably the thing I'm looking for when the Raptors uh, return here over their eight games. They will also play some of the league's best defenses, so they'll get tested early and often, and we'll get to evaluate how they kind of, uh, you know, how they shift the landscape of their their half-court offense heading into the playoffs. Uh, speaking of landscaping, fellas, you prepared to unveil your summer bod? The beaches are opening, the sun is shining, and the bushes must be tamed. Manscaped is here to ensure your post-quarantine body is ready for the wild. Uh, back when I was about 23, I think, I made the mistake of waxing at the beginning of summer out of curiosity of what it would feel like. I uh, did not like it. Eric, have you ever gone the wax route? No, a uh, 40-year-old virgin uh, couldn't completely talk me out of that. It's fairly accurate. I didn't love it. Luckily, Manscaped has forever changed the grooming game with their Perfect Package 3.0. The Perfect Package 3.0 kit comes with the essential Lawnmower 3.0 waterproof cordless body trimmer, and a ton of other liquid formulations to round out your manscaping routine. Uh, it is the best trimmer on the market for those of you in need of a summertime chest shave. Uh, you can also adjust the settings to get a length you like in case you want my level of perfect and all-natural chest hair uh, without going all the way down to the wood. You can get 20% off and free shipping with the code THEATHLETIC at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com using the code THEATHLETIC. And for a limited time, subscribers get not one, but two free gifts. The Shed Travel Bag, a $39 value, and the patented high-performance anti-chafing Manscaped Boxer Briefs. So go to manscaped.com today and use code THEATHLETIC. Uh, we will be talking to Tyler Ennis of Raptors 905, not about his manscaping, but about his season with Raptors 905 and the development of O'Shea Brissett after this. All right, joining us now, Raptors 905 point guard, Four-year NBA veteran, former national team player, Tyler Ennis. Tyler, what's going on, man? Thanks for coming on. Yeah, thanks for having me, man. It's, uh, good to good to talk some hoops with nothing going on. So, yeah how uh, how are you doing through all of this? I know I know you're with uh, with your kids and with family at, at least. So that's uh, that's hopefully been a positive for you. Yeah, no, it's been honestly it hasn't been that bad for us. We've been uh, pretty strict on quarantining, and and uh, we just have a bunch of people in our house. Um, we have the whole family together, so it's kind of like a extended vacation. Um, 
and, you know, been able to uh, keep in shape and work out as well. So it's just kind of enjoying family time because who knows when we'll get this long to uh, spend together again. So that's the way we're approaching this whole thing. Yeah, I know your brother Dylan was overseas, but I was thinking if he had been able to get back, you guys could have had a whole you, – you guys would have had enough bodies in a family quarantine to at least run some like two-on-twos, three-on-threes, get your dad involved in there. Yeah, no, I mean right now in my house is 11, 11 of us, in, including – yeah, including babies. But I mean, um, you know, we're, uh, we're, we're a big family, so it really doesn't feel like that much people until we're outside and, and people are looking like, is that a party or is that, you know, one household? <laughs> so I mean uh, – I think we're enjoying it. We're all used to it, so it's been good. How is your brother doing overseas? I've enjoyed him uh, him taking up kind of the the fatherhood blog, and then I saw he signed a new deal recently too. Yeah, yeah. He um, he ended up he decided to stay, um, which looked like a bad choice at first because they were on strict strict lockdown, and we were kind of just just entering the COVID uh, stuff. And then now they're essentially open back up. He's already played a tournament. And he's basically vacationing in Barcelona for the rest of the summer. So I think he he made the right choice. And, <laughs> and we're uh, yeah we're still over here stuck after four months. So I as, commend him for, for uh, making that decision. As someone who went to Barcelona last year, you could make worse decisions than, than yeah. spending the summer there. It'll get hot, Absolutely. but there's a there's a nice beach. <laughs> yeah, so he's uh, he's enjoying it. He, he signed back with that team as well, so he's um, he's just kind of more comfortable over there. So. Yeah, I don't know the, the vacationing in Barcelona versus not leaving the house for days at a time. I'm I'm torn. <laughs> I mean, the first I think for me the first week was was enjoyable because it's like we were we were in the season and it was like the the first week after the season's done and you get to stay at home and not wake up too early. And then after that, I was kind of like, all right, you know, I need some structure and I need to work out and do all this stuff. And then from there, it just kind of feels like a big blur to me at this point. You, uh, I saw you were able to at least get a get a haircut in, so that that must have made you feel <laughs> a little bit more normal, right? I'm still working with with a pretty bad beard over here, so. Yeah, I mean, uh, long story short, it's a it's a close family friend, and we trusted that he wasn't uh, <laughs> out and and without a mask like some people are. So I mean, he uh, he came over and we took the precautions, but I think uh, we all just kind of wanted to feel human again without you know, uh, going out and, and risking our health. So we, we decided to get a haircut and live on edge. <laughs> uh, yeah. Er- Eric, Kareem, Eric got a haircut recently as well. So yeah, yeah, no feeling, I'm feeling very aerodynamic now. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I combed it out, uh, for people on Instagram and Twitter to look, uh, to see, and it was not a pre haircut and it was not a, a good look for me necessarily. <laughs> uh, Tyler, I, I think this is the first time we're chatting, uh, I mean, longer than a few minutes since uh, I was down in Syracuse while you were playing there, and we did a an interview in the stands of the Carrier Dome after a practice, uh, yeah. which feels a mil- like a million years ago. I'm sure it feels really? about that long ago for you. Um, sure. What does, I mean, how did you balance family time and, and being safe and cautious with being, trying to stay in basketball shape not knowing like sort of what was coming next uh what were you able to do uh during the off not off time that's the wrong word during the time of uncertainty let's call it yeah yeah no i mean it was tough i think because i i kind of went through the stages of like after the season taking some time off to not knowing when and if the season was coming back to like having to get back in shape and 
truthfully, I'm a little spoiled because I, I was able to get my hands on a, a bike and um, equipment to work out in the garage and kind of have a whole setup here. But I mean, um, I started with jogging outside um, just to kind of get out, you know, being stuck inside all day for 24 hours with two kids is, is tough. So uh, me and my girlfriend took turns um, kind of running and, and being able to just get some fresh air and then uh, kind of move that into the garage where we, you know, got back into our routine. She works out as well every day. Um, and I think it's been, been, I'm, I'm an optimistic guy. So I think uh, I've been able to spend four months, uh, with my family, which is something I haven't been able to do for 10 years since I, you know, left for prep school. And, uh, I just think it's something I'll look back on and, and, and enjoy the time, uh, with my family, but obviously not enjoy what's going on in the world. So, um, optimistically speaking, I think it's been good for our family to just spend some quality time together. For you as a basketball player, how is this compared to last summer? I, for anyone who doesn't know, um, at this time last year, Tyler was nearing uh, a return after almost a year off due to a broken leg. I, I know it was a lot of individual workout. I know around now you were starting to ramp up, um, you know, some two-on-two, three-on-three with, with yeah. Ryan Schmidt, the Raptors 905 assistant, or Nathaniel Mitchell, uh, who works with the national program and the Charlotte Hornets. Um, how has this compared from, from a basketball side? Obviously, each situation has limiting factors, but one's health-related and, and one's kind of access-related. Yeah, I think it um it kind of gave me a, a better understanding of how to get back into things. I think um, uh, every year except for last year coming back on rehab, I kind of just went from taking a week or two off after the season to full-out workouts for the rest of the summer. And um, in the rehab, they kind of built me up to, um, you know, from just stretching one day to a little light jogging and, and kind of stages of ramping back up so that you – don't get injured um, when you are playing fully. Um, and I was able to kind of focus on things uh, during the season that I thought I needed to get better at, whether that's, you know, uh, flexibility or, or whatever. So I think it was round two of that for me, having four months to ramp back up. And I think now, um, not in game shape, but I think I'm in pretty good shape uh, for, for the standards of what we're in. Tyler, it was pretty early on in the Raptors 905 season this year that, that you looked, you know, back to your old self. And I know I can imagine that probably wasn't a, a linear uh, progression to, to feel 100 percent confident and 100 percent back. I know you even got, you know, there was that early season back to back that got canceled in Westchester. So you yeah. didn't even have to, try, uh, you know, test the the back-to-back scenario until well into the year uh, but I'm wondering is it, was there a point in this season at which you were like okay I'm back or, or at which you know the fact that you were coming back from injury wasn't even in your mind anymore no I think uh the back-to-back was probably the only thing I was worried about um because uh I've, I've played you know five on five open gym back-to-back but up until that point I haven't played serious um official basketball back to back. And, you know, I didn't have to do it, I think till like January, but, um, you know, I just think it was, uh, I, I thought I was a hundred percent to start the season, um, being able to scrimmage with the Raptors guys and, and playing, you know, with guys that, that are in the NBA, like Shay during the summer and professional overseas guys and, and feeling really good about my game. But then as I went on, I realized, you know, I was getting a little bit faster, a little bit stronger, feeling more comfortable. Um, my legs were under me. I think just as I went on, that 100% I thought I was um, at the start of the season just kept going. And I'm like, oh, maybe I wasn't, you know, 100% to start the season. And, um, you know, I think watching film, and that's something I've also done with four months off, is watch 
essentially every basket I've scored in the last in my whole career, basically. <laughs> but um, but yeah, I just think uh, looking at like speed, even something as simple as that, just how how slow I look in my eyes from game one to the last game we played. I think, uh, like I said, my hundred percent and what I thought was all right, I'm back. Just kept getting you know better and better, and and now I really feel like you know. I'm a better player than I was at game one, but also before the injury. And I think that's a win in my eyes, considering the circumstances. To the best of your ability, I'm wondering if you could describe the mental hurdle that has to be overcome after such a serious injury. I mean, fans have seen so many players go through so many different types of scary injuries, and and you're certainly ranks up there. Um, I, I mean, just... Does anything in your life or, or, or in your career before that happens like really prepare you for that? And how do you get over it? Uh, honestly, nothing. Nothing prepared me. I think um, I kind of went in with a blind, you know, uh, a clean slate of not knowing exactly what to expect. I didn't even, when I got injured, I didn't even ask what surgery is going on. I just knew something <laughs> was wrong at the bottom of my, you know, my left leg. And I'm like, all right, they're going to fix it. And I, I woke up and, and I didn't know where the scar was. I didn't know anything. Um, you know, so that's kind of the approach. I just kind of taking it day by day, um, you know, from, from day one after surgery to my first game back, I think it's just been a long up and down, obviously. Um, I think the the most challenging part was to start playing again, um, missing the game. Uh, I was able to kind of fill my time. We had a, a baby in that span. I was home for the first time. There was a bunch of stuff that filled my time, but I think um, obviously miss playing. But I think the first time I played um, made me realize, like, okay, you're not going to come back and be the player you were on day one. And it took, you know, some months for me to build up to, you know, feeling fast enough to beat a guy off the dribble, to feeling good enough to dunk, to um, playing back to back, like we talked about. I think it's just been we've taken it in stages. I've had a, a whole bunch of professional doctors um training staff of the national team helped me through through every step uh, professional coaches so i think uh, i was in really really good hands and uh we, we just took it day by day i never looked forward to playing um i just looked forward to what was next you know whether that was all right i get to play one-on-one versus coach today uh tomorrow i get to play two-on-two and three-on-three the next week and you know we just looked at it that way and before we knew it it was uh time to decide what we're doing the next season and that's when I decided to go with the 905. And, you know, I don't regret that decision at all. Yeah, it turned out pretty well. Um, for anyone who wasn't keeping up with the 905, uh, the 905 had made this uh, very unlikely push toward the playoffs before the season was canceled. Won seven of their last eight to get back in a playoff position. Uh, Tyler was one of the top point guards in the G League, averaging 17.2 points, 5.3 rebounds, 7.5 assists, 1.7 steals. Pretty, uh, pretty tidy stat line there. Um, Tyler, as you look ahead to you know what the what the future is going to hold for you now, you we you and I talked a lot um, before the season and in the early parts of the season about your decision to go the G League route with Raptors nine hundred five. Um, obviously, the the NBA hitting pause when it did kind of took away some opportunity to get the you know the the late season call up that the top G League guys sometimes get and, and the weird rules around 
who can and can't be a replacement player now, especially once the bubble gets going um, with you having four years of experience and that being limited to uh, players with three years of experience or less. Um, I, I, I know that nothing's been announced and in our conversations, you haven't decided anything yet, but do you have an idea of what the, the near term future is going to look like for you, especially with the NBA offseason not lining up with the international offseason this year? Yeah, it's, uh, I think, probably the weirdest summer um, possible. Uh, for me, I'm just looking for for a place. I think with the 905, it gave me some comfortability being home and knowing the staff, but also um, knowing I develop and keep getting better. Um, I think a lot of people forget that, I, you know, this is my, I think, going into my seventh year professionally, but I'm only 25, um, uh, turning 26 this summer. So I think I'm still looking to get better. I'm still looking to continue growing my game and, and you know, whether it's, with an NBA team or, or with a team overseas, I think I just want to play at this point. Um, and, and everything that follows and other goals, I think come from, you know, being able to be on the floor. And I think that's, uh, an experience I didn't have too much in the NBA being so young and, and moving around a bit. But I think, uh, now the main thing for me and, and what makes me happy, regardless of where it is, is playing and, uh, you know, hopefully it ends up in the NBA, but we'll see. And, and, We've been uh, talking to some teams lately overseas and, and other places. So it's, uh, it'll be an interesting few weeks going forward. I'm I have no idea what's going to happen. <laughs> I'm anticipating yet another DM from, you know, some Olympiacos fan or something like that. <laughs> Greek, Greek Twitter, Greek basketball Twitter has been all over you all season. I get like one DM every two weeks from someone being like, hey, you know, is Tyler Ennis going to leave and go here? I'm like, he's playing for Raptors 905 and like yeah. 10 days can now be signed in the NBA. It's been, uh, people have been eager, man. I think, you know, obviously, I mean, you you signed at the highest level of international basketball before. Um, and I think, you know, your your play speaks to itself. Uh, if that's the route you, you go this time around. Uh, I wanted to ask you about someone else's experience with Raptors 905 this year. Uh, if that's cool, you got the opportunity to play this year alongside O'Shea Brissett, who, you know, you've known for, for a long time and, and who I know you kind of took a, a leadership role, um, a mentor role with him this year. What did you see from O'Shea over the course of the season uh, in terms of his game growing and, and him maturing as a player? Yeah, I mean, uh, I think our, our relationship is more like a, a big brother, little brother, um, even before playing together. And it's it's funny that we ended up on the same team, um, you know, but I think at the start of the season, I, I, I think he, he kind of followed in the ideal rookie path of, you know, playing well and showing your talent, but also struggling to kind of find out what your thing is. Um, and I think his... Uh, especially the Raptors where he, he started getting some real good rotation minutes. I think that's when he realized what he has to do to one, stay on the floor at that level, but also two, just what he has to do to, to be effective. And, um, you know, he showed, showed, uh, some really good stints with the Raptors. And then we found when he came back, his confidence was, was way higher. And that's when he really started hooping and showing what he could do and expanding, expanding his game a little bit. But I think, um, he was able to get that experience so early in his, his first year. I don't think a lot of two-way guys, um, for the most part, get that experience. Um, and I think now it's, it's clear cut, you know, he has to do A, B, and C in order to, you know, get on the floor, but also be a good NBA player. And I think he realizes that. And not to say that's all he's going to be. I think he'll continue to grow um, like everybody does. But I'm just uh, proud he stuck with it and had the confidence you know, in his first year to get out there with the, the, the reigning championship team and, uh, 
helped him win some games, you know, and, and I was proud of him. And I think that is a, a big stepping stone for his first year, but also his career going forward. Um, and, you know, I think he's just starting out. To me, uh, when I saw him with the Raptors, the most impressive thing for him was just sort of his physical presence, especially on the glass. Like he was, you know, not giving up anything on either side of, you know, the offensive or defensive boards. And along with his defense, he was, you know, that that made him a very valuable player. You, You mentioned doing things A, B and C to improve. What do you think those things are and and what are his capabilities to sort of you know obviously he's a very hard worker to to sort of get follow that path yeah i think um we we kind of had a talk about it to start the year and it's hard to tell a guy who's on a two-way who is playing in the g league at the moment um all all you need to do is rebound and, and energy and everything else will follow he wants to show he could shoot threes and show this and score 40 points because he's in the g league and i think when he went up um, he kept it simple. He played off of Kyle and Fred and Pascal and those guys and essentially played with energy and everything else followed. He's so athletic. Um, he's able to guard a bunch of positions, he's able to play a bunch of positions. So um, I kind of broke it down to him and he figured it out himself. But I was like, you know, all you have to do is, sh- is play with energy and everything else follows. I, I don't think a lot of guys have that opportunity to make an impact on basically just just bringing energy he's going to rebound the ball play defense and everything else will continue to get better like his shot and and you know his offensive game but as of right now I think bare minimum he's able to come in and and change a game with his energy and that's you know that's something that you could bring from when you're 19 till you're done playing so I think he's on a good path I think he's in a good position with the Raptors with you know their development um with young players I think uh you know, I'm real proud of how he, he um, took this year on and got better, but I think he, he has a long way to go to reach his full potential. I think that's a great thing for him. Um, semi-related to to O'Shea here, I, I spoke to him yesterday on one of the Zoom conference calls, and I asked him, you know, we've, we've talked a lot about how the NBA as a league and, and players individually are going to try to use this return to play um, to continue to affect positive change, um, not just in the United States, but in, in every community where players are from or, or where teams are based, um, particularly with respect to, to anti-black racism. Uh, I asked O'Shea about, you know, being a Canadian player on the league's lone Canadian team and how, um, you know, what, what maybe not responsibility, but how, how that changes, how he's approaching something like that. I, I also, um, you know, asked Chris Boucher uh, about that as well. Tyler, I'm wondering what your perspective on that is. Um, you know, I know you won't be at the relaunch in Orlando, but you're a Canadian player and a, a you know a black man who who grew up in Toronto. And I'm wondering what your thoughts are on how you know how the league or how individuals in the league might be able to um, you know shape that message to to make it clear to Canadians that this isn't just a, an issue in the United States. This is an issue here in Canada as well and the world over. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's something I've seen when everything, um, when the protests and everything started up was people tweeting or whatever, just kind of like, I'm glad I live in Canada. But, you know, I think there's there's people that experience racism. Um, me being a biracial kid and my, my dad being white and my mom being black. Um, I remember growing up and, and kids where looking back, a kid was so young. I want to say I was third or fourth grade. Kids don't, I don't think kids, um, realize race until they're they're taught it and and i remember kids saying stuff about you know your mom should be dating a, a, a white guy and things like that and and 
you know, I think that's on the a small scale compared to what some guys have went through. And, you know, I think what everybody's looking for is, is not to go out there and fight and, and do certain things. I think everybody just wants to, to people to acknowledge that there's stuff that has been going on for years that, you know, the black community wants changed. And, and I think the fact that there's some people rebelling against it shows that, you know, they don't want equality. You know, I don't think anybody's asking for favors or to be put up against, you know, above anybody. I think, you know, the black community is asking to be on a level field, to be equal to other people and people are rebelling against it. And I think that's, you know, to show in, in America, particularly that, you know, something's wrong and people don't want it to change. And I think that's why, you know, we're seeing such uh, big protests and, and along with pre- police brutality. And, um, you know, I think as Canada, we kind of pick and choose when we want to be attached to America and when we want to dissociate ourselves. <laughs> uh, and and uh, I, I do that as well. But I think it's it's a worldwide thing, um, not just in America. I think it's a, started in America, but it's it's continuing and you know, I think I'm happy to see that changes are being made, but I think there's still a long way to go um, in every field. Uh, I think the football team's changing their names and, and little things like that, that we never really, you know, I was born and, and I don't know if it's the Redskins, but I never thought from somebody else's point of view. And, and I think that's what we all need to do is kind of put ourselves in other people's shoes and, and, you know, just kind of be a, be a better person about it. The amount of willful ignorance and sort of just bad faith arguments from people trying to maintain the status quo. You, you really see a lot of that these yeah, days. It's like as people are like trying not to listen. You have to go out of your way not to like empathize and at least listen to the messages being being said pretty openly and honestly and earnestly. Uh, yeah. it's, uh, it's not a good time for faith in humanity. <laughs> no, I think I, I kind of, um, compared it to people refusing to wear masks. And I think obviously there's some people with breathing conditions, but there's some people that don't want to wear a mask just because it's uncomfortable. And I think that's, you know, the way our world has been is everybody kind of cares about themselves and, and yeah, you might get sick and be okay, but there's somebody out there who won't be. And, you know, I think it's a small ask of you to, you know, as simple as wear a mask when you go outside, even though we're not supposed to be outside and, and there's people rebelling against it. I think, you know, in particular, we talk about America, their culture, you know, I think they're very entitled in certain things. And I think that's, you know, why we're seeing such, uh, you know, crazy things going on there as well as around the world, but particularly in America. Yeah, caring about pe- other people is not a political issue, and it's not a, a left stance or a right stance. It's just caring about other people. Um, Tyler, thanks so much for doing this, man. I really appreciate it. Yeah, no problem, man. Thanks for having me. Thanks so much, Tyler. Eric, do you have anything else for Tyler before we let him go? No, just wanted to say thanks and good catching up. And it's always uh, you always provide a thoughtful perspective, so we appreciate you joining us. Yeah, no, thanks, thanks for having me, guys. I appreciate you guys. All right, guys, we will uh, we'll talk to you next week. Thanks, Eric. See ya.